Welcome to Tech Talk. Bye. CDT. Welcome to CDT's Tech Talk, where we dish on tech and internet policy while also explaining what these policies mean to our daily lives. I'm Brian Wazalowski, and it's time to talk tech. Disruptors or job destroyers? Innovators or rule breakers? When it comes to companies operating in the so-called gig economy, policymakers at all levels are likely to have a strong opinion. But regardless of one's view, it's hard to argue that many of these services are incredibly popular, both for those offering their services and for the users. Whether it's your favorite ride-sharing service or contracting someone to paint your bedroom, there's a good chance you have used an on-demand or gig economy service. Here at CDT, we've already looked at this issue a bit through the lens of Section 230 and the rights of websites to host user content, such as posts aimed at renting out a room in your house. We've also touched on the privacy policies that startups should be thinking about, especially those companies that use a lot of data. But what we've yet to do is actually look at it through the lens of an entrepreneur, and today we will. Joining us to talk about the gig economy is Brian Park. He's, of course, an entrepreneur, having already launched four startups, with his most recent one being Real-Time Cases. He's also the Washington, D.C. director of Startup Grind, an independent startup community that has chapters in over 200 cities. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. It is my pleasure. Two Brians. This is going to be fun throughout, so uh, it'll make uh, our editor's job a little bit harder. Um, <laughs> so before we get into the gig economy, I do want to ask you about your most um, recent endeavor, real-time cases, before I forget. Sure. Um, so uh, just wanted to do a little bit of clarification here. Um, so yeah, what did I screw up? <laughs> <laughs> so real-time cases is actually a startup that I joined. I didn't uh, oh, co-found cool. it, but uh, uh, there are actually three co-founders, um, and they just were recently um, named uh, Forbes 30 under 30 uh, two days ago. So congrats! I'm in good hands. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but you know what? Real-time cases is it's a education uh, ed tech startup that uh, that's pretty much disrupting the education space. Um, it's an experiential learning platform that teaches students by way of highly interactive uh, video business cases. So essentially, what we're doing is uh, we're sort of disrupting. You know Harvard Business Cases or Harvard no, Business good. Review, but don't tell them that, okay? Um, <laughs> we do have some friends there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but 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 the reason why I joined them um, is actually kind of a, a, a very funny story. I mean, previously um, I was sort of co-managing the AOL Fishbowl Labs, which is a premier incubator here in DC. Yeah. Um, and so uh, one of our previous uh, 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 startup that we had. Uh, they were looking for a product guy, and they approached me and said, "Hey, hey, we're looking for a product guy. Would you like to join us?" And, and you know, me sort of being the manager, I'm like, <laughs> "Hey, I don't date employees. You know? <laughs> I don't do that." So you know, I, I sort of had to respectfully decline. And uh, certainly after they raised thirty million dollars and they got a top VC on their board, and I'm like, "Hey, different you guys proposition still have then, yeah." <laughs> so so uh, so then real time cases. Uh, very similar. They they approached me uh, and said, "Hey, we're looking for a product guy." And I hark back from that moment. I'm like, "I'm not going to same make the same mistake. <laughs> I'll take it." <laughs> so, so I'm doing real time cases. Um, Great. But actually, I just want to say before real time cases and before the AOL Fishbowl, um, I was the uh, the the global COO of Startup Grind, which I'll explain a little later. Oh, okay. Um, and then before that, I had done three uh, different startups, um, and one of which I grew up to 20 million in revenue, and 
And that's my uh, background. Well, and that's why we have you here, an entrepreneur, a successful one at that. So let's get to the gig economy. I touched on it a bit in the intro, but how would you define the gig economy? I've seen multiple definitions of this. Sure. You know, it's funny because then uh, you're probably going to have a, a lot more definitions. I mean, <laughs> gig economy, it's not going to be gig economy next year, I'll guarantee you. Uh, but there's, it's nothing new. I mean, let's face it, there's nothing new. Uh, in the past, we call it the sharing economy. And before that was called collaborative consumption. Um, and before that was called P2P marketplaces. Um, but really what it is is that it's it's really rehashing the old. And I'll, there's two points when I, I wanna talk about with the gig economy. First of all, let's, it's the progression of the gig, gig economy. Um, and then also the activation of these services and products. So number one is, you know, the progression of the gig economy, the way it worked was, or the gig economy or the on-demand economy, um, it actually uh, started, you know, you know, the advents of the Ubers and the Airbnbs of the world. Um, but before that was Craigslist. So f- folks would put, you know, hey, I got, I got some stuff I like to sell, or I got a gig, um, you know. And actually, there's a gig section there, and it's in Craigslist. Is there? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and, but before Craigslist was the local newspaper section, yeah. you know, listing sections, and so. Um, and so people can put their products or they can put their, uh, you know, goods that they don't use on, on the newspaper listing. But even before that is the, uh, was, was the physical form of, of these uh, local marketplaces. It's by way of like flea markets and mm-hmm. uh, garage sales and car boot sales and secondhand shops. So, so that, that's that. And then so the second point is the activation of these services. Um, the, the, the process by which we obtain the products and services has changed. So that's the only thing that's changed. So, you know, products and services has always been there ever since mankind, but by which how you obtain it has changed. And it's because of this web 2.0, web 3.0, mobile technology and social media. Mm-hmm. So you have the on demand, you click on a, a phone and boom, you, you get that, you get that product or you get that service. Um, so basically gig economy <clears throat> is what I would say, you know, it's a bunch of freelancers, and back then we call it moonlighters. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, but but essentially, uh, there it's uh, these folks that are on demand for both high skilled and low skilled workers. In the past, uh, I guess the process took a few days. If you wanted, you know, if you wanted to get a gig, gig, it took a couple of days, weeks, months to negotiate the scope of a, sh- a short term project. Um, but now. Now with this automation and software, uh, you know, these sort of like the Airbnbs and Ubers of the world, they're automating a lot of the back office processes like billing and you know, invoicing, APAR, and then onto the other stuff like the social aspects like peer ratings right. and, 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 and feedbacks that you can get. So, um, so then this whole gig economy is very, very tuned into the high volume um, customers like an on-demand, uh, what an on-demand company needs. So why is it, I mean, if it's nothing new, I mean, obviously speed is a big difference, uh, the type of skills that can be offered or services in kind of real time. Why is it such a disruptive notion? Like why are people getting, you know, both loving it in a way um, that I mentioned before, but also a lot of people are grumbling about it, saying, okay, this, this is too much. So, you know, it's interesting when you say this disruptive notion for many industries, um, it's actually, uh, it's not that businesses don't like disruption. Um, <laughs> I know they, the, the startup community loves the word yeah, disruption. Yeah, it's it's like the but, word, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, they just simply don't like change. 
Um, and so uh, they don't want anyone to take away the gravy train. Like, I mean, you have, you've been doing a business, you've been doing it for some time, for decades, and then suddenly a newcomer, you know, hipster kind of walks in <laughs> and it's like, I want to do things a little differently and I'm actually going to commoditize your industry on a, on a cell phone. Um, that's change. And so, I mean, ultimately what it is is that uh, a lot of this is predicated on fear itself. And if you don't understand something, what's well, natural human instinct, you're going to fear it. Um, but honestly, I think that big companies need to uh, embrace change. They need to learn to face the music. And I've seen many, you know, with, you know, with my involvement with Startup Grind, you know, I, I get these Fortune 500 companies you know, approaching me. It's like, hey, how can we, you know, reach out? And how do we, how, how can we reach out to the new generation, the millennials, and how can we think more innovatively? And, you know, and I will say, like, it's, it's actually not that hard. You, you should think about how to recruit more millennials or <laughs> how to create, you know, innovation labs that sort of promote, you know, design thinking, which we can talk a little bit about design thinking. Sure. Um, and or even, you know, do things like have a hackathon uh, where you're aligned with your mission and, and then sort of like allow employees to have a space and time for them to uh, be a little bit more creative. Um and then and then and then make them feel like they're big they're part of a bigger plan to quote unquote change the world. <laughs> so. Changing the world is definitely <laughs> something a lot of millennials go for. Question for you then to kind of go back, you know, here at CDT we work very much in the policy space. Um, so a lot of the pushback is not just necessarily from entrenched companies, but also from, you know, policymakers at the, you know, the state, the local level, federal level, um, oftentimes saying that this is, you know, putting people out of jobs or putting people at risk in different ways. Um, do you think some of that, you know, criticism or the attempts to regulate the gig economy are fair? You know, are reg- do regulations have a space in these disruptive models? So I, 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 I have an observation every time the government <laughs> steps into anything. Um, it's one of two things. One is, hey, are you, you know, impinging on rights? Are you, are you hurting another um, entity? Are you hurting somebody? Are you, um, are you neg- negatively affecting another citizen? So number one. And number two is, am I getting my tax dollars? <laughs> and so I think that... Um, I think that regulations are in place to first protect workers, and I think with this gig economy, um, they may be a little bit too early on the curve of trying to um, impose regulation, but I think starting the dialogue, starting the conversation is needed right now. Um, and I th- and I think, um, again, uh, if, if they're using this and they're kind of masquerading this with, you know, uh, that we're trying to figure out how to get more ta- tax revenues, that's that's different. I think they should just like try to defer as much as possible and let it just thrive. That innovation in the space and gig economy should just thrive. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So um, I think a lot of people would agree with you on that one too. <laughs> um, so if we were to talk about, you know, you I'm sure advise businesses as well. It sounds like the big companies come to you, probably the, the small entrepreneurs or startups come to you as well. Um, what would you advise someone thinking about going into the economy, especially you know in a space where regulation is a little uncertain? But there's a decent chance that you know when policymakers want to do something, eventually something will happen. Um, you know, sometimes it gets stopped. Would you do you have advice for people considering entering or starting a business in this realm, or people already in the business in this realm? 
Okay, so yeah, I mean, if I had to rephrase the question, I would say what sectors are primed for disruption? I'll first start with uh, the gig economy first and then go more broader. But um, so first of all, if you are a startup and you are doing, um, you are a startup in the gig economy and you don't have um, any, any angel funding or VC, do not, and I repeat, do not approach the VCs and say, I am an Uber for X. <laughs> I am an Airbnb for Y. Never do that. They actually avoid you like the plague because um, it's so it's so cliche, first of all. And, uh, and then secondly, uh, if you do say that, then they're thinking, well, Uber is going to dominate your, your market. And that's exactly what's kind of that's kind of what's happening. I mean, you see now Uber going into Uber Eats. I mean, who, who would have right. thunk, you know, <laughs> like in, in, a, in a few years, they were going to go into delivering food and and being on demand that way. So um, I would say uh, the only niche in the gig economy that's worth uh, that, that there's some interest is in the space for transportation and moving. And what I mean by that is, uh, actually I had a very good friend of mine who just invested into a company called Convoy, which is basically, in a, okay, wait, wait, before I say Uber for this, right? The only way you can <laughs> yeah, say Uber- Yeah, don't break your rules yeah, already. You can say you are Uber for X, right? But you can only say that with to your customers. Okay, because because fair, you know right because they're they're yeah. they're because they're, 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 they're they, they different don't, connection you yes, need to make yes yes they don't they don't understand it's like oh I, I know Uber okay then it's Uber for you know babysitting Uber for dogs so this this particular one is Uber for trucking okay, okay. so so it essentially is like hey I'm a business I want to send a pallet of this how do I do it you know and then it's just a couple of taps and boom see that process would have taken months. And now it's it's boiled down to um, a couple seconds. So I mean, there's there's some really interesting interesting things that are happening in the gig economy space. But again, and, and you know, transportation moving. There's a I think there's a lot of space um, legroom for innovation in transportation, especially with the advent of driverless cars yes. and trucks. And so I, I I remember talking about this in a different panel, but I think uh, a, another um, another um, potential is, you know, is, is is you've heard of the last mile phenomenon, right? Like yes. the last mile, and then well, I'll say the last doorsteps. So, uh, you know, a, a driverless car pops up. Now how do you get that pizza to the door? <laughs> it could be done by a drone or, or robotics, but completely automated. You don't. The point is you don't want to have a human being involved. As someone from Buffalo, you don't always want to walk all the way to the car on the curb. Trust me, right. I know that. So. Right. In fact, you probably want to have a robot doing your uh, your the, the snow plowing. I would take that. <laughs> yeah, I know my parents would at least. <laughs> so, so you know, the thing is, is that, that you know, th- there'll be a combination. There'll be a convergence of all these technology, you know, driverless cars, um, gig economy. But then, you, again, Uber is doing that. They're looking into driverless cars and how do you replace humans? And automate, automating that, so I'd say there's there's definitely some um, some potential there. Uh, just because you brought it up, and I didn't uh, ask this question before, so you mentioned replacing humans. Um, I think with like a lot of the driverless cars, that's a that's a big thing. AI replacing humans. Any concerns as a as an entrepreneur um, in terms of like displacing certain jobs and whatnot, or do you see that as just kind of a natural flow of innovation? Um. So. 
I think this discussion about having human um, humans being replaced by machines, I think we got a long ways to go. Uh, that's not to say that we there are going to be certain um, categories of jobs that that may be replaced in this timeline or in this lifetime. I think that's that's more of something that's going to happen 300 years from now, like like a robot, an AI is an, is an actual like. Uh, um, you know, as you see in um, Terminator, <laughs> you know, with the with the singularity. Let's hope that's not the uh, Earth that we leave uh, three hundred years from now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I think that there are some interesting things where it's like low skill task that will be replaced in like, I mean, it, that would be a huge shift. I mean, this so there's one particular startup that that I find very interesting, and 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 when I saw that, I was like, oh man, I got to get this. Um, there's a startup called XAI, and it's a it's a company I believe out in New York. What they do is really simple. It's like, and I'm sure you would like this because this happened to us. But you know, you, you write an email and say, "Hey, hey, when can we meet for lunch?" And it's like you then I'm I'm, I'm assuming your workflow was okay. I gotta go to my calendar. Oh, okay, here's some spots open. Then you're typing that stuff in. Yeah. Well, this one is like it figures it out for you, and it has a conversation. Uh, it will put in an email say, "Oh, I have these times open." And then list them out, and then the guy, the recipient will reply with, "Okay, uh, uh, let's go pick this. Let's pick this time slot." And then it will actually put it into your calendar, <laughs> and it says, "Thank you." And it, it's a virtual this assistant. Podcast would have happened way sooner <laughs> if that existed. Oh my goodness! Right. <laughs> um, so I mean, there there are there there's going to be a lot of um, startups that are that are going to replace and automate the low uh, low skill task. And that way, now for the higher skill task, um, we got a long ways. Okay. And so, but I, but I actually wanted to mention the other, <clears throat> other uh, sectors that are very interesting. Oh, sure, please that I do. see from the VC world is that, you know, it's AI, it's big data. Big data is always going to be, um, it's going to be a a, a trending um, topic or area that VCs are always going to be investing in because. With with the exponential growth of data, that's not going away. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna no. have like, you know, uh, devices that that l- literally carries petabytes of information, and that's not gonna go away. There's gonna be so much information. That's that's the Moore's law. That's gonna just increase. And so there's got to be a way, um, uh, a mechanism for us to sift through that data and make sense of that. So that's the big data. And then there's machine learning. There's connected devices, Internet of Things. Cybersecurity, as as um, as oh. more devices are connecting, and then um, uh, seamless integration with devices, and then software and physical world, uh, cybersecurity is going to be very big. And then lastly, education, and so that's what real time cases. Education, um, it's going to be uh, a space that hasn't hasn't made much development. I mean, there was there hasn't been any uh, much innovation in that space. Compared to the other, you know, other spaces like transportation and what what have you, but um, I would say if if your audience is interested in knowing um, like new industries to disrupt, you should pick up um, Steve Case's book Third Wave, and he goes into detail and he he talks about education, he talks about government, he talks about transportation. It's we're literally seeing this, this is the third wave of the internet, and you should definitely there's some really good insights 
uh, to pick from if you are seriously looking into starting a new company. Oh, that's great. I'll be sure to read it. I need to uh, add to my 2017 reading list already. So, um, <laughs> and I'll of course take the opportunity to just do a little plug here with big data. Of course, becomes you know big responsibility if you have a lot of data about your customers. Be sure to protect that and make sure that you're protecting their privacy. Feel feel free to check out cdt.org for some tips for startups and entrepreneurs on how to respect privacy and data. Uh, big consideration there. So um, I've had a prior guest on who said that entrepreneurship is America's greatest export. Would you agree with that? Um, absolutely. Um, so, you know, in other words, entrepreneurship, the word, I mean, again, it's a, it's a rehash of the old, but it's, you know, 30 years ago, it was called the American dream. And so I'm, I'm actually a product of uh, the American dream. Um, so in the 1970s, uh, my dad actually immigrated from South Korea, uh -huh. and um, during that time, you know, America had a huge shortage of doctors and nurses. And guess what? My mom and dad, they're a doctor and a nurse. <laughs> so they came here, <laughs> and literally, I mean, things changed a little bit, but I mean, literally, they became a naturalized citizen within a year. And, uh, you know, and this is, this is the thing about America is that the immigration, strong and smart immigration policy is so important because it's all about hiring the best from anywhere so here's here's a good example i remember one fortune 500 uh fortune 100 ceo told me this and it's really stuck in my head but he was like this he's like if you're running a multi-billion dollar corporation you anybody in this listening listening to this podcast if you are running a multi-billion dollar company and your goal was to find the best engineers and you go into a room of a hundred people and I told you, hey, Brian, you see all these hundred engineers, these top, like really talented people. But here's the rule. You can only talk to the, uh, the folks in your circle in your corner. Um, yeah. and, and oh, by the way, that's the only people you can, you know, you can hire. Um, you're going to be pretty livid at me. You're going to be really, really angry. So here's the thing. This is a fact. The U.S. only has 5% of the world's population. And here's the thing. The smartest people in the world are evenly distributed globally. So that means if I have uh, a very poor immigration policy and I say, you know, hey, only hire people within your corner, you just excluded 95% of, of your pool, right? So think about this. You're a CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation. You have to be thinking globally. You have to be thinking, where can I get the top talent? So that's why... You see like the IBMs and the Google Space, they have research centers in Tel Aviv, in Dublin, in China, and they have it everywhere because they understand that concept. So, and here's the other thing too that I recently heard on the news, but you know, my dad was a really big, like um, uh, big fan of Nobel prizes. He's like, <laughs> you know, we'll be around the, around the dinner table and he'd be like, hey, did you hear about that Nobel prize winner? And it's like, uh, yeah, dad, whatever. Um, so I kind of caught that bug. So I did, I've been, tr you know, I've been tracking Nobel Prize winners, and um, they announced uh, the American Nobel Prize winners, all immigrants. Oh, fast! You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so the thing is, is that so America does have a component of recruiting the best mind, but they need to do, they need to do a better job. So, again, if they're getting them through universities by way of, you know. Uh, recruiting as PhD students, researchers, you got to have a strong program to keep them here <laughs> and not send them back to compete against us. 
Um, but anyway, definitely read the Steve Case book because yeah, he talks no, about that's this. Very helpful. You know, I'm sitting here thinking I have my CDT hat on, and I'm like, wow, I agree with everything he says. But CDT does not have a formal position just yet on immigration. Got but it. I'll say personally, Brian would agree with you 100% <laughs> on that one. And I was going to ask you if you know what role should government play in advancing innovation? Sounds like you know sound immigration policy that gets the best and brightest here and keeps them here uh, would be one really good thing that they could do. Yeah, and actually, I wanted to add to that, uh, but. You know, my opinion about the government should be as my advice that I always give to entrepreneurs to their customers. I always say, you know, if you want to have a great customer base, you need to get out of the way. <laughs> and I feel like the government is really good at getting in the way. <laughs> and so uh, I would say stop getting in the way. If anyone, policymakers here, you're listening to this, like just get out of the way in terms of like innovation entrepreneurs what they're going to do is they're just going to do they're going to um the this is the mentality of entrepreneurs they always like doing and then and then if somebody has a problem they're like okay well let's go fix that Uh, let's let's go let's go see if we could create um, a better solution so everyone's happy um but so that's one and the other thing i wanted to mention about government involvement with innovation there's been lots of examples where the government has been uh, very friendly to startups and then created you know tons of innovations after that so a good example is the SBIR program so SBIR um, you know I talked with uh, Mark Walsh he's the head there at the SBIR SBA I'm sorry and really what it is back back then with the um, the Beltway Bandits <laughs> where they didn't have set-asides um, for small businesses it was just Hey, you're you're a big company. Okay, we'll we'll throw you a billion dollar contract, um, because the United States is run by taxpayers. They're like, okay, well, this sh- we should be represented, right? So, twenty five percent of the businesses out there are small business. Then at least the research dollars should go to small business. So then that's the SBIR program, and as a result, um, you know, you got companies that apply. They they'll get you know their phase one you know funding. And that's really the uh, the way where they had to find um, that a feasibility. There's a feasibility part mm-hmm. of that, and then they had to figure out, okay, is this can this work? And then the government says, okay, we like to use it. We like to have first right of refusal, and then it, then your first uh, your first uh, customer is the government. If it doesn't, if the government doesn't need it, then you have the right to commercialize it. So AOL, Qualcomm, yeah, Laser microwave even the duct tape all came from this program where you know there was there was some solicitation hey we we want to have this type of technology can you do it and it's for this branch of the government it's for the navy it's for the you know marines it's for the air force so much innovation has come from that and so uh, you know as much as the government does get in the way they actually are a um uh an advocate, a strong advocate for small business and innovation. They can do good things, see? <laughs> so before I let you go, um, tell us a bit about Startup Grind. I didn't realize you were the, the global CEO of that, but we have a pretty COO. active... COO. COO. Yeah. COO, correct. A very active chapter here in D.C., though, yes, right? Yes, So um, Startup Grind is actually an organization that started uh, probably seven years ago by a good friend of mine, uh, Derek Anderson, and it started with nine people. 
and they're like, hey, let's talk about our problems, you know. <laughs> it was, and they're like, oh, great, but uh, why, we're sort of an echo chamber. Like, why would we want to talk about our problems? We should talk to um, entrepreneurs, you know, um, high higher profile entrepreneurs, and um, and how they overcame their problems, you know, their successes and and, and successes and failures. And so that sort of ballooned into nine, you know, from nine people to know 200 300 people and then finally um we just hit a million people uh, a million entrepreneurs into the network so what 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 startup grind is is is, is a very specific format we do fireside chats of tech titans in your local city so i do washington dc when i started the chapter here derek really loved my chapter because he was like wow washington dc there's no (laughs) there's nobody there i'm like and that got me angry (laughs) when he said that right and it's like, uh, well, you know, there are startup communities besides New York and San Francisco, you know, and uh, and so um, what really got caught his attention um, was when I brought the the co-founder of Rosetta Stone, and that's a software that Derek used a lot when he was growing uh-huh. up, and he was like, oh, okay, well, looks like DC has some pretty um, pretty crazy entrepreneurs, some some great entrepreneurs, and I'm like, well, you betcha, I mean, there's. And I started rattling off. Steve Case, yeah, right Steve here, right? I mean, that's what everyone knows. So many yeah. different uh, companies here, and in fact, here's the thing. Now you got me going. I know it's a little uh, at the <laughs> no, end of this. You got me going now. Um, if you took San Francisco and you took DC, and I took the labels off, and I just said, just just show me data, and I said, okay, well, per capita of engineers, per capita of um, of postgraduate degrees, um, number of STEM related jobs opening. Um, uh, wealth like per capita of angel investment um, even um, I would say uh, richest counties in the area yeah they would look exactly the same you would have no idea what is San Francisco what's Washington DC and so what's why are we not even number two number three number four I mean we're like 15th on the startup list and I'd say one of the biggest and probably the most important uh, reason why we're down in the listing is because of one thing. It's because of this notion of culture. And what I mean by that is the startup culture is all, it's all always about, you know, it's predicated on failure so then you can get to successes. So if um, the thing is that if I failed here in D.C., like, am I going to be brandished and, and, and excommunicated? Um, I see that happen a lot of times here. Oh, interesting. And then if you go to San Francisco or New York, like, hey, this guy raised $50 million. He's the biggest failure, but we're going to add him more. Anyway, throw some more <laughs> money. It's the, whole, it's the whole culture of the mindset of failing fast, iterating, get to product market fit, find customers, scale very quickly. And I think that uh, in the D.C. area, we have – uh, a problem with grasping that concept. So that's we what I mean by culture. We love big, slow-moving federal contracts. And that's the problem. Right? That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you got the federal yeah. government. And you got like the. But I will say this: this is just you know purely beside. You know, I don't know how long you've lived in the area, but I've lived off and on in D.C. for gosh now over well going on 15 years, and um, I've seen a big change. I think so. I, I would say that I'm optimistic. Part of what you're describing, just yeah. the type of people that are attracted to the district, it's certainly a place that I would say 
more people are making home as opposed to a pass through while you're a government appointee or whatnot. So right. hopefully that that helps uh, continue to build the uh, the community here. And you have mm. tons of more people coming to start up Grind DC. Right. I've been to one. I can highly recommend it. I think it was actually awesome. the Steve Case event, at oh, least yeah. one. Yeah. And that was fantastic. So definitely check that out. Brian, thanks so much for coming on Tech Talk. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Tech Talk. Be sure to check out all our resources for startups at cdt.org. I'm Brian Wazalowski. Thanks so much for listening.